Hello and welcome to episode 219 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. Joining me as always is the lubricious League Freak you can find on Twitter at League Freak. How you going there, mate? I'm very good. What does lubricious mean? Oh, you're going to like this. Okay. Smooth and slippery with oil or a similar substance. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because... I want to talk about manscaped.com. I figured you might. Because without manscaped.com, I'm not lubricious, you know? So you go to manscaped.com. It's, you know, it's starting to get towards that time of the year where everyone's got to start thinking about buying presents for all of the things that are coming up. Father's Day? Yeah, Father's Day. Christmas is not that far away. We're not going to be able to go out to the shops, and you want to get in before all the rush starts on all the postage too. So go to manscaped.com. Put in our exclusive code, which is NRL, and you get 20% off and free shipping, and it lets them know that we sent you there, and that's always great. And uh, it's not it's not just for fathers. No. Nah. It, it can be for future fathers, because let's be honest, Father's Day is actually celebrating the fact that some bloke got lucky. Yeah. And so the best way to improve your chances of getting lucky is to be smooth as silk downstairs. Yeah, you get manscaped. It's, uh, you know, you, you want to be match ready. You want to be ready to rock and roll when the time comes. And, yeah, so get on it. Manscaped.com. The code is NRL. Get some smooth balls on your son. Exactly. And now let's get into some NRL chat, shall we? Yeah, why not? We... We went so well in the last episode where we decided to just uh, essentially fuck it, hit record and see what happens. So mm-hmm. here we are again. Mm. So there's been a few talking points. Yeah, there's a few of them anyway. Let, let's start with the uh, the racism saga that happened against Brett and Aiden. Um, the Panthers outside back. I think it was Friday night, was it? Yep. Um. I haven't really looked into it too much more other than a few blokes have been alleged to have made racist comments to him. Mm-hmm. No one needs to know what they said or what happened. Um, I hear that Naden is strongly considering um, taking the matter further. Mm-hmm. Um, and all I can say is if if you're the sort of person that thinks that racist comments is somehow going to make you either be witty, funny, amusing, entertaining, tough, intimidating, any of those other things. Um, It doesn't. It just makes you a pathetic, useless cunt. Yeah, and it was was a weird situation because obviously they yelled something to him and there's not too many people at the games. And he pointed them out and the police escorted them out the stadium immediately. And I, I think that the game handled it all like about as well as you'd want to like those people were they're gone they were like you know it was only a few minutes later and they were showing video of them being escorted out yep um so that was great to see i think that uh some of the reaction afterwards i thought was a bit strange and like there were there was calls for um anybody that gets caught i guess um yelling racist stuff at games to be banned for life from going to games and i was like I'm pretty much all for that. I think it's hard to not be all for that. But it is 
kind of weird that you could get banned from rugby league for lo- rugby league for life for yelling racist stuff. But then on the field, there's players that have actually committed battery against people and inflicted physical harm on people, and they've got second and third chances. And I, yeah. I just found it. I find it's weird, don't you reckon? Yeah, look, you always that's the thing. You're always going to have that sort of um, contradiction, really. Yeah. Um, but I think I think everyone can be kind of united, I guess, in rugby league that racism is such a pointless thing, but it is so goddamn damaging to the people on the other end of it. And yeah, it does. Mate. It does impact. I mean, I know you're not arguing that, but yeah, you know, no, it does no. impact on more than just one person. It impacts entire communities, mm. and it's pretty wide-reaching and um, I think that's why there's got to be this zero tolerance, yeah, um, I agree. attitude towards it. Yeah, but you you do make a good point regarding, you know, other people have done very bad things to people, mm. and have been yeah, allowed to continue being involved with the game. I mean, that's it's going to go either way. There's going to be fans who have probably done jail time for killing people and shit like that. You know, yeah. Well, I you think, look at I think the, that if you can you, pick a few things that you can be, um, you know, strongly opposed to, like racism mm. and, say, you know, violence and stands and shit like that, if you can pick a few things like that where you can be consistently strong with, I think that's fair enough. Yeah, just, I don't know, like, like I, I agree, you know, you get fans that are yelling racist stuff, yeah, being it for life, like, that's, it's a layup. It's easy. Do it. Yeah. You know, it's not a, I, I think you're going to be hard pressed to find anybody that argues against that. I just find, I do find it strange that you do have that, that difference where it's like, I don't know. I just wish there was the, the 100% condemnation that we saw of it that would also carry on into, you know, when, when some of these players have bashed their girlfriends or, or, Bashed, you know, we've seen players bash dudes in the street. Um, I just wish there was the same universal combination of those sorts of acts as well. Um, it was interesting seeing Andrew Johns calling for fans that say racist stuff to be banned for life. I was like, uh, is, is he serious? Yeah, like, I, I saw that on Twitter and I posted a link to um, a news story about his comments about um, Greg Inglis, which... Mm angered Tamana Tahu and rightfully so. Yeah. To the point where Tamana Tahu said, I'm not going to play Origin this year. Yeah. I don't want to be around him. Um, and I did see some at, people I... respond to your tweet about it saying, oh, people can change us the stuff. And you go, you know what? They probably can. But at the same time, if you want to talk about anti-racism in the game, let's be honest, rugby league fans, just like rugby league media, have a fucking long memory. Mm. And if you want someone to push that story about, you know, we don't need racism in the game, get someone other than someone who said something racist before. Yes. Simple. Yes. And Simple. like, look, I, that the question I would love to, I think the next question to Andrew John should have been, look, you had a race, uh, a, an alleged incident that involved racism. And, do you feel you've changed? And if he says yes, I'm willing to take that on board, right? But then my next question after that is, 
do you think what what would have been the effect if you had have been banned for, from rugby league for lot for life? If you now are a changed person from that incident, and do you think that the life ban would have been the right thing for you? And if not, why should that apply to these people and not you? It's just, I don't like when there's, I don't like that sort of um, double standard, you know? Mm. And it, it jumped out at me immediately. And look, I'm not trying to jump in and do the sensational thing that you see a lot of fucking media types doing stuff. I just, to me, when I see things like that, I sort of scratch my head and I go, wait a minute, you know, and, and, you know, I guess it's the sort of thing I would bring up on the podcast because I can't wrap my head around that sort of stuff sometimes. Essentially what it is, okay, is we've got a situation where, and this has happened in the, in the stands Mm. and the NRL has taken swift, very accurate, and consistently strong um, action regarding yep. those that sort of behaviour. Yeah. That is, you'd be racist, you're going to be escorted out of the game, and you're pretty much going to get banned for life. Yeah. And that's a no-brainer. Yep. But when it comes to players and their misdemeanours, there's a sliding scale, shall we say. Yes. And it slides a fucking long way. <laughs> Yes. And that's that's what it is. I, so I can see where you're coming from. Yeah. And like, say, so, and the other thing I was thinking, and, and I don't want to get go down the track of hypotheticals because I hate hypotheticals, right? But I was thinking, like, what will happen if, you know, this weekend, like the days following that, if we heard something in a scrum and we heard a player say something racist in a scrum, while everyone's saying we can't tolerate racism and they should be banned for life and it's a universal yes from everyone. If we had heard somebody say something racist in the scrum, that would have really muddied the waters of the whole thing. And I'm glad that we didn't because I I I, I agree. It's like, man, if you're yelling racist stuff at a game, first of all, just fuck off. We don't want you there at all. And second of all, like, what's wrong with you? You know? Yeah. And there's... There are so many negative things you can yell at a player without targeting race. You could yeah, just call them, you know, a fuckhead or a dickhead or, you know, an idiot or something like that. You know, none of that is signaling out anything about that person specifically. There's no, you, you know... A rear Brisbane Bronco, something terrible like that. Exactly, exactly. But um, targeting their skin colour or their race or something like that, I mean... That is essentially premeditated. That that's something that's hardwired within you, and that comes out because that's genuinely an opinion you believe. Yeah, and like that's, that's the well, problem with that. That's why it's got to be gone. If you're a racist and you're watching rugby league, man, you must be fucking miserable. Oh yeah, you'd be like, irate as hell. Yeah, like we got this like super multicultural sport. Thankfully, it's fantastic, but. Like, who sits there and is thinking about the race of all of these players? Like, you'd be really, really busy. It'd be like those people, you know, the people that used to take the, the old guides to a game and they'd write down every try scorer and stuff like that. You'd have to keep fucking notes on players. I was wondering where you are going with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just like, there's so many, like, we, we're really lucky. We're super yeah, so lucky. So you're saying, like, you'd have to have a little column there saying, oh, okay, this one's, yeah, you know, this one's Aboriginal, this one's from England, this one's from Ireland. 
This one's from the Pacific Islands. Blah 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 blah. Just so you know, what's what racial slur to yell at each one of them? Exactly. It would be just so like time consuming. Yeah, yeah. So dumb. The other speaking of dumb, the other dumb incident happened during the week. Well, actually, there is another one that came through today as well. Yeah. But on Saturday, um, Titans played the Sharks, and there was an incident where. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin Proctor is alleged to have bitten Sean Johnson. Now, this incident is very similar to Jermaine McGilvery and the allegation that he bit Robbie Farah on the arm in the, I think it was 2013 World Cup when mm-hmm. England played against Lebanon. Mm-hmm. Um, and in both occasions, um, the biter was accusing the... Um, Let's call it their meal. Meal. <laughs> um, they're accusing them of choking them. Yeah. And the problem with that is the forearm on both occasions was around the player's mouth. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, if, if you don't know how choking works, um, pretty much tell you, it doesn't work around the mouth. It's a bit more around the neck sort of region. I think we're um, going to disagree on this one. Now, well, what what ensued after that, okay, is essentially what happened was Johnson did have his arm around um, Proctor's mouth, and, you know, he's got a pretty firm grip on there, much like Farrah did with McGilvery, mm-hmm. and Proctor had his mouth open, mm-hmm. just like McGilvery did. Whether there was a biting motion or not, it's it's a bit clearer to see with the Proctor case. But still, there's got to be... The problem you get is proving intent. And that's a hard thing. Like He could have just been moving his mouth down a little bit and not intending to bite. He could have moved it a little bit just to try and get him to move his arm. Who knows? You've got to, you've got to prove intent to some degree. Um, the, the footage is a little bit more damning towards Proctor than it was McGilvery. It was a little bit... Harder to tell with McGilvery's case. Um, but anyway, Proctor got marched and the Sharks scored two tries in about four minutes afterwards and pretty much ran away to win the game easily. Um, Johnson, after the game, was pretty adamant that he has no intentions of taking this to the, you know, taking this matter any further, which was I, odd. I feel like I feel like one of the lawyers out of the movie, A Few Good Men, are going to step up and say that I'm going to prove that Kevin Proctor did not intend to bite Sean Johnson on the arm. I'm going to give you evidence. You're going to hear some wild accusations from the, the prosecution, but in the end, I will make it so that you cannot possibly give him a guilty call at the judiciary. Okay? Are you ready for this? Okay. Okay. So keep in mind, during this whole process, Proctor is not in control of anything that's happening around his mouth. Okay? Correct. So, Sean, uh, let's just say an arm. An arm is, you're you're playing the game. You're playing the game footy and your mouth is open because you're probably breathing pretty heavily out your mouth. And an arm comes straight across your mouth. Okay? Now, your, your teeth are apart. And the pressure that's been put on your teeth 
is really, really hard. Now, if you put your own arm in your slightly open mouth and start pushing it back into your mouth as hard as you can, your teeth are going to start to hurt. And your natural reaction is going to be to open your mouth because it's going to be the the least resistance, okay? Mm -hmm. So so you're opening your mouth. Now, the arm keeps forcing its way then between your jaws, and it's freaking, it's freaking you out. So what do you do to stop that? You try and close your mouth down. It's a natural reaction. It's not like he went out of his way to bite him. It's not like James Graham on Billy Slater in that grand final between the Storm and the, the Bulldogs. No, James Graham it's, is definitely talking into a T-bone steak there. Yeah, yeah. He's look. He's trying to bite someone. This is a player who's, you know, he, it, it's a biological response. And I, yeah. I just think he wasn't guilty at all. And I would also say that you could probably run your your arm alongside somebody's teeth that doesn't make any movement with their jaw and still feel like they bit you. Yeah, and I think this is the thing too. I don't think there's any um, intent, uh, any any intent to do any wrongdoing on the part of Sean Johnson either. He's probably, because of where his head was, he's probably not aware that his arm was in the location it was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, players have usually got their arms up around all sorts of places. He may have thought it was up around his eyes or his nose or somewhere. It's not there for that long for him to know exactly where it is. Yeah. And so he's probably felt a bite and gone, fuck, I think, so. I think I've been bitten. Yeah. Gets up and starts swinging. I mean, it's the thing too. Is it's not going to be... Um, it's not going to be insanely bad because Proctor was wearing a mouth guard. Yeah. So it's only, he's only going to feel the bottom row of teeth, really. And so it's... Look, the, the good news, I think, in the end of here is that if it if it's a 50-50 call and we're not too sure on whether it's a bite or not, um, Sean Johnson's decision not to go and testify does make it does make it easier, I guess, for Proctor to get off. But it is going to come down to what the judiciary sees. If they think the footage is damning enough to suspend, then whether Johnson decides to go along or not means jack shit, they'll they'll still suspend him, and that's what it's going to come down to. See, I think that it's going to be interesting to see what the judiciary is asked to look for. If they if if it comes down to the the proctor's teeth make any sort of uh, have any sort of pressure on Johnson's arm. It's just going to be yes. And if that constitutes a bite, well, then he's guilty. But did he go out of his way to bite Sean Johnson? I do not believe he did. And I think if he got suspended, it, it would be a bad thing for the game because I don't think it would be... What would be the reason we're suspending him? You know, I just think that there's... If you go after a player to bite them, you're a dirty cunt. And you should be suspended for months. Forget weeks, it should be months. And I really don't believe Proctor bit him. I think that it was just a a case of an arm coming in contact with his teeth. And, you know, I, I, I just, I, I think he'd be really hard done by. I think he was hard done by to get sent off. I'm, you know what? I'm not opposed to him being sent off. I know a lot of people are saying that it's the first time someone's been sent off for biting. I can't confirm or deny that, so I'll just have to go with it. But um, you know, I'm I'm not upset 
if someone gets sent off, if it means that any player in the future who dares think about biting someone has a second thought and doesn't do it, if it acts as a deterrent for the future, I'm fine with it. I don't care. Um, but one other point I want to raise here yeah. is you agree with Paul Gallon. See, I hate myself for that. Because <laughs> Paul Gallon is a... Uh... What's the word that they use? Dickhead. Clean skin. <laughs> Clean skin. <laughs> Clean skin. Oh, shit. Uh, every time you hear Paul Gallon talk, and I think, how did how did this happen? Who made this mistake? But, um, yeah, look, I just think that, you know, sometimes I wonder what the suspension is for. If the suspension is a deterrent, that's fine. But what are we deterring? Deterring players from getting somebody's forearm shoved in their mouth like uh, what are we doing there i don't know um and it's a gray area i i'm the first to admit it's a gray area and that's why i think in in certain a situation like this like you can see when a player is going out to buy an opponent but i don't think this was what was happening with proctor and so i'm willing to say Look, it was a an in, a footballing incident. You know, there was no intent. You know, Johnson's fine. He didn't even know he was bitten. And just go back out there and play next weekend. Now, there is another incident that's happened, and that came up to in the uh, Bulldogs West Tigers. Um, let's call it game today. Okay. Um, <laughs> I thought Napa. it was a, a game of touch football. They played against each other. It's a game of what the fuck. <laughs> um, Dylan Knapp has been put on report for leading with his head again. Now, I didn't see this. No, nah, neither have I. But all I've got to say is, after it happened so many times in the past, how do you not fix your technique? Because first and foremost, even out, just out of a, a self-preservation thing, leading with your head like that is going to eventually lead you to get a serious injury to yourself. Yeah. Let alone someone else. Because that's already happened. Um, not all I've got to ask is how fucking stupid you got to be to tackle the way he does and not fix it. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're tackling head first, it, it's you. First of all, you're being lucky that you're not making yourself a paraplegic. Exactly, you know, quadriplegic. Um, and yeah, like I know clubs go on about the stupid thing is that you instead of a club saying, "Listen, Dylan." We've got to work on this, and we're going to work on it every single week because we don't want you being suspended. Instead of doing that, clubs get defensive, and they start saying, well, he hasn't got a problem, and blah, 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 instead of trying to fix the problem. Yeah. It's... I I, I just find it it absolutely mind-numbing that something as bad as that, and for a forward who does a lot of tackling, to mm-hmm. still get something so fundamental as getting your head in the right spot so wrong consistently for years. Oh, man. Well, I guess it's like a player that goes in around the hips and they get their head in the wrong place. And, yeah. you know, you do that enough, you end up being just knocked out of the game. You get you, you get so many concussions, you get knocked out of the game. I guess it's different because he's going head on head. And if you're going down with the crown of your head, it's a, it's, 
you know, it's a harder part of your head. True. But eventually there's going to come a point where in that process, you're taking your eyes off your opponent. Exactly. And in that split second, that opponent could move in a way which could put really bad pressure on the back of your neck. Mm -hmm. And man, that could have dire consequences. Um, so nap it. Fucking fix your technique, man. Go and have a chat with Nigel Plum. Yeah, or Trevor Gilmeister. Who are some yeah. of the other good tackling technique players we've seen over the years? Uh, I mean, look, during during the week, they had a, a poll on the NRL website about, you know, who was the best defender, and Nigel Plum wasn't on there. Who was on there? Oh, who cares? <laughs> who cares? Because I had, I had a... Is this hitters or... No, defenders. tacklers. Okay, defenders, tackle. best tacklers. Okay. One of the referees, I think it was Jared Sutton. Yeah. Could have been another one. Might I have been Gavin. Actually, it might have been Gavin Badger. Gavin Badger, yeah, I saw that. He saw replied that. and said, of all the players I ever refereed, Nigel Plum had the best timing and the best technique for any tackler I've ever seen. And to me, bam, that's all I need. That's, that's qualification right there, that yeah. Nigel Plum was the best defender there is. And he's not on that list. Just criminal. That reminds me of something that was also criminal. Mm-hmm. And can I say in the way the media would say it? Oh, well, why not? Okay. Breaking news. Go ahead. Breaking, breaking news. Uh, our media organisation has been handed some statistics that show <laughs> that in the NRL era, this is pretty much basically, take it for my word, uh, the worst season in terms of the biggest winning margins we've ever seen between teams. So the average winning margin, it's just huge. And just take my word for it. Don't look into it too much. And yeah, that's the end of that conversation. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> now, if you, Andrew, can you elaborate on that, please? Yeah. Adrian Prashenko wrote an article for the, the Sydney Morning Herald uh, today. He was right, wasn't he? Just confirm it. Um. He said that the, I mean, let's be honest, let's start with the fact he's cherry-picked data, which was from round three to the end of round 13. Mm-hmm. And it was, what he's said there is that the current average winning margin for those games was 17.4 points. Yes. And when I went and looked at it and I broke it down round by round, it actually came out to being 15.57, almost two points per game less than what he suggested. But Andrew, can you tell me how it's possible to take black and white statistics in something as simple as putting together the average margin between teams and making it so wrong? Well, let me let me put it like this for the way cuz I'll, I'll look I admit okay, there are a lot of fans out there who think stats are boring. Right, so let's go with something that a lot of people do read, okay, and that is, um, let's say, just any random story involving rugby league, okay. So look at stats as being the facts of a story. Yeah. Okay. If the facts don't align with the agenda you have, mm-hmm. then what you got to look at here, okay, you got you've got the facts and the agenda. One of those is the most important part of the story, and it's not the facts. Yes. Okay. 
Yes. So the agenda is the important thing. You've got to make sure that that is supported by the facts. And if the facts don't support it, then you change the facts to support the agenda. Yeah, so you cherry-pick... And this is how you create... Yeah. ...for yourself, especially in the media, your own integrity. Mm -hmm. I've made up the stats that back up my agenda, therefore I'm right. That's how it works. Now, my understanding is, right, first of all, any time I see somebody right nrl era i think you lazy piece of garbage right yes because there's no nrl era it's just from 1998 so if somebody said the last 20 years different story but when they say nrl era it's like oh so you just didn't want to go any further back than 1998 fair enough so then you take results from round three to what is it round 16 13 13 Right, yeah. round three to round thirteen, which in itself is fucking weird anyway, but let's do that. And then my understanding was that they tried to use draws somehow as a margin. No, no, no. So so what happened, okay, is they yeah. took the winning margins only. Yeah. For twenty twenty. Yeah. Even though they got the number wrong. Um they So used they got the, the winning... number wrong anyway to start. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. that one. Is that about one point, one point nine points per game or something like that? Yeah. Um, so they inflated it by almost two points a game. Yeah. But they took the winning margins only, which therefore gives you a bigger margin. Because mm-hmm. uh, if you had the draws in there, it's an extra game, but the margin's zero, so it brings that margin down. Okay, I see what you mean. Yeah. Right. So for all the other seasons, you add the draws in to bring that margin down to make 2020 without draws included higher. No way. To explain how it's bigger than it is now. The problem was that they did the, they got the number wrong for 2020. They also said winning margins and then included draws. You can't include a draw because it's not a win. Yeah. It doesn't have a margin. Yeah. It's not, you can't include something that doesn't have a winning margin in winning margins. Yeah. But they were doing that anyway. But even still, with the margins, uh, with the draws, without the draws, didn't matter. They got all the numbers wrong for every year they chose. Um, was there anything they got right? No. Uh, probably they, they got NRL right. That, the um, name NRL. Like, yeah. it was called the NRL, yeah. It wasn't they the ARL Super League um, before that sort of thing. They're also saying that the margin that they created, so yeah. even if you took the fact that they created a margin that was wrong yeah. of 17.4 points per game, um, they said that that was now the biggest in the competition's history. Yes. The competition goes back to 1908. Yes. The journalists there were saying no it was in NRL the NRL history. Yeah. That, that's right. And so I just, I literally just know off the top of my head, okay, there's, there's always a few years when it comes to big score lines, big margins, that sort of thing, there's a few years I always know of that you can always go to. It's 1920. That's when Annandale were in their last year and they were atrocious and university started their first year and they were crap. There was 1935 when the Bulldogs came in and they got hammered. They were the worst offensive team for points per game uh, still to this day. Mm. Um, Then you're looking at, say, 1982 when Canberra came in and they were one of the worst defensive teams ever. 
1999 with the Magpies. 1995 when we had all those expansion teams come in. And 96 as well because they got smacked. And 2002 because defence just was non-existent that year. Yeah, those that was the touch football stuff. Anyone wants to come up about high scores, margins, that sort of shit. Those are the years I always go to, and I'll always compare it with those ones. So I don't even have to look at anything else. And if I can yeah. prove that those years are worse than what this person's talking about, then bam, you, you, your whole argument's debunked, and I can just move on. And sure enough, I found 1935, the average margin was nearly 20 points a game, 19.96 in a time when tries were worth three points, not four. Wow. That's, you know, two and a half points more than what this person said was the highest in the competition's history. Mm-hmm. 1995, which had four-point tries, was 18.19. So that's also higher. I didn't have to check anything. I was just going, well, there's two already. And I was just said, those are, those are ones I just know are, are always going to be higher. There could be others. But I just know those are the ones I can always just go straight to and, you know, debunk it if I need to. Check it out, yeah. And it's... Yeah. Sorry, go on. Well, there's more stats. Excellent. Bring them on. I love them. I say I love the stats. So, and if anyone that doesn't like them, they can get stuffed all right for the Sydney Morning Herald. Yeah. So the article also stated that the average winning margin since 1998. Um, sorry. Got to try and read again. The previous highest margin for a season during the NRL era commencing in 1998 was 16.8 points in 2002. It was actually 17.3 that year. But what they did is they included draws to push it down to 16.8. Mm-hmm. And the reason why they wanted to push it down was to show how much higher it was now. Mm-hmm. Because, if you, you know, if you're trying to push an argument that uh, 17.4 is the highest ever, then saying that in 2002 was 17.3, mm-hmm. there's not much of an argument to be had there. Yeah. When you're arguing over point one of a point per game, you know, as a margin, yeah. But if you can push that down a bit and make it one point something. That's a little bit more of an argument you can run with. So that's what they're trying to do. Yeah. Um. So again, the agenda is the important thing. Um, yeah, and the the problem is instead of looking at the statistics. And you you end up with an outcome, and you say, "Oh, look, this is how this has turned out." That I might be able to write about that. They've said, "Oh, I would really love to be able to write an article about this being the worst year in terms of competitiveness in the competition." Let's try and work back from that and get a result by chopping and changing what we add, what we don't add, what we include, you know. And and that's what they've done. Yeah. So there was another statement they made in the article. Mm-hmm. Um, said that means blowouts since round three are now up 3.7 points on last year's average, an increase of almost an unconverted try. So the average winning margin of 2019 was 13.79. The average winning margin from round three to round 13 this year is 15.57, which means it's actually increased by 1.78, not 3.7. So it's not up by almost an unconverted try. It's up by less than a penalty goal. Yeah. Um. There were some other stats as well. Um, they talked about the average winning margin over the last 22 years was 14.6. It's actually 14.73. Um, since 1983, when we had four-point tries, it's 14.42. So it's only gone up in that, you know, nearly 40 years. 
it's only gone up by 0.3 per per game in the margin. And that's with the introduction of the 10-meter rule. So it hasn't changed that immensely. And yeah. since 1908, when we had three-point tries, that was 13.01. So it's only gone up 1.7, really, when you compare it with, you know, the overall history of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so from round three to round 13 this year is only 2.56 points per game up on the overall average since 1908, which is still not almost an unconverted try. True. And, and like, I know when we saw that they were getting rid of the second referee and they were changing, like, the six again and stuff like that, you and me said we were worried about there being the the winning margins were going to blow out. And, and they have. Look, let's be honest, okay, they have blown out. Um, but not to the point that this article is suggesting. And, yeah. You know, I had, given that my stance, you know, at the start there was that this is a fear that I had. I have a vested interest in this person's stats being correct because it justifies my stance. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I'd rather stats be used correctly and accurately to get to an actual end point. The problem mm-hmm. we've got here is that there are a lot of statistics that could be used to prove this point, and this person has, choosed, has chosen the um, flimsiest cherry-picked data and used it in a very amateur manner and essentially have not proven anything at all because of the way they've done it. Their methodology is so poor. Their analysis is so amateur that they haven't proven anything at all. There's so much deep analysis you could do on, um, you know, individual player stats, changes on last year. You can even compare it with changes to rounds one and two with the when we actually still had 2019 rules. Yeah, yeah. They've not looked at any of that. They've just gone, oh, let's go with margins. Yeah, and the, like the weird thing for me is this year, I feel like it, it's been a very long time since we've had so many teams that have at times looked absolutely atrocious. So I think this year, right, you could say at times the Bulldogs looked absolutely atrocious. The Brisbane Broncos currently look absolutely atrocious. The Cowboys... Last week looked absolutely atrocious. This round, we're a little bit better. The Titans at times have looked atrocious. The Warriors at times have looked atrocious. The Dragons at times have looked atrocious. The West Tigers at times have looked atrocious. That's seven teams I'm talking about right there. The, yeah. the Sharks, I'm willing to throw in and say, at times they've looked bloody atrocious. That's Now we're at half the competition. I, I don't remember too many times just in my lifetime watching rugby league, where we've had that many teams that you could say, wow, at one point they were terrible. But at the same time, I don't think I've ever, I can ever remember so many times where you've got a team like the Titans who have improved from atrocious, a team like the Warriors who, man, I mean, they make it difficult to play against them now. The West Tigers are sliding backwards at the moment. The Sharks are going in the right direction. Um, the Cowboys are up and down still. The Broncos get worse. The Bulldogs, man, they're not a great team, but they try very, very hard. They're fighters. They're like, that, this is the thing that needs to be remembered too, okay, with if you want to just look on margins and stats and stuff like that, that's of this basic level. Is yeah. that the current Brisbane Broncos team are historically bad. Mm. 
historically bad. They're one Which of the weird. I've I've run a fair few stats in the last few weeks, mostly for entertainment's sake. Um, but the current Brisbane Broncos team, as far as points conceded, this is not averages, just points conceded game by game. They're tracking very closely with the 1999 Magpies, who uh, they conceded more points in a season than any other team ever did. They mm. are very close. I'm talking, you know, maybe 20 points between the two, which is, that's horrific for the current Broncos side. This Brisbane team is now the worst attacking team in the NRL this year. They scored less points than the Bulldogs, and they've got the worst defense by a long way. I think the next worst teams conceded 57 points less than them. And their points difference is minus 251. And there's only been just over a dozen teams in the history of the game since 1908 that have conceded 250. They've got a points difference, sorry, of minus 250 or worse after 14 games. Mm-hmm. That's how bad that they, they are historically bad. And because of that, that is going to skew the data. Yeah. And that is something that is not being discussed in this person's article. Like when you look at all the other seasons, as I said before, there's more than one team. 1920, you had University and Annandale, both bad. 1935, University, Canterbury, both horrible. Um, 82, there was Canberra. You had Illawarra as well, new new to the comp. There are a few other teams that were struggling as well around that same time. Um, 1995, you had four brand new teams coming to the comp. Same with 96. 2002, the rules changed. So, so many teams got left behind and the margins were just atrocious everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that's the thing. But you're looking at one team that's historically bad here and it's skewing a lot of data. And you can't, and that's the thing, you can't take them out because that's cherry picking as well. Yeah, it just yeah. needs to be considered. And it wasn't in the article whatsoever. And that was that's another thing that made it very amateur with the way they use stats. Exactly, exactly. And I'm like, I, th- I think the, if you saw that Magpies team play in 1999, um, like th- like they they had to merge with the Tigers and those, the Magpies were so bad that I can't remember anyone really fighting and saying, no, 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 we belong in the... the competition on our own like they just reached that point that was it was over for them um i it's it's hard to get my head around the fact that the broncos are near that level it's kind of the same thing with if you look at the penrith panthers this penrith panthers team at this point in the season is easily the best panthers penrith panthers team statistically that has ever been and by quite a way and I, it's, I find it hard to get my head around that as well. You kind of, when you've got these markers that you set for great teams and poor teams, when you see somebody going to that level and you kind of, you need that finish of the season as well. So that's something to consider. But it's hard for me to consider that the Panthers are statistically at this point the best te- Panthers team ever. And it's hard for me to to also say the Broncos are near that Magpies, te- Magpies team in terms of defense because that Magpies team is so bad. It was they so are. bad. And, and the thing is, too, that the makes this Broncos finished. team... I was going to say, the thing that made this Broncos team, I'd say, probably worse mm. is the fact that they have a lot more rep quality plays in their team than that Magpies team in 99 had. Oh, hell yeah. Like, if we went through both teams... 
I, I would de- and set, picked who we wanted. The Broncos are going to be most of the players. Easy. All righty, then. Let's do okay, that. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. So let's pick the Broncos from just the last game they played. Because they had everyone except... I think they had everyone except Pangai Jr. They've got a couple of injured players, but let's be fair. All righty. Um, so, yes. at fullback, the I'm trying to I'm just trying to pick the most frequently used lineup that the Magpies used that year. Okay. Yep. Um, Brett Hodgson at fullback. Again, and a young Brett Hodgson. It, it's between him and Darius Boyd. I'll take Hodgson. I think I'd take Hodgson over Darius Boyd right now. Um, let's see. On the wing, Jared Mills and Barry Davis. Richard Kenner and Jesse Arthurs. I'm taking the Broncos players. Yeah, I'd take them as well. Um, centres, Kevin McGuinness and Justin Brooker. Katoni Staggs and Herbie Farnsworth. I'd, I'd take the Broncos. I think Staggs is outstanding. I think he's super underrated, yes. actually. Farnworth, I'd, I'd have Farnworth and McGuinness pretty pretty equal at this stage because they're both very young at the same time. Yep, yep. But Farnworth, he's very good. Um, in the halves, let's see. Oh, Shane Perry mm-hmm. and Leo Dinovore. Brody Croft and Tom Dearden. Leo Dinevall was a pretty good player, but damn, I think I'd keep. I think I'd keep Cody uh, Brody Croft. Yeah, Tom, it's a bit touch Tom, and go. Yeah, Tom did that. Let's split that one, hey? How about okay. that? Okay, All you right. keep track of these, by the way. No, god damn it, that's your job. You're the stats guy. Um, the front row. I think the Fords is where the Broncos team is going to run away with it. Yeah. Harvey Howard and John Scandalis in the front row. Okay, it's Thomas Flegler and Payne Haas. Yeah, I'd I'd have both the uh, both the Broncos players there. They're, they're solid toilers, the two Magpies players. Yeah. But those Broncos players are more game breakers than toilers. Yeah, true, true. Um, Cherry Mesher at hooker. Sherry Mesher at hooker. Jake Turpin. I'll take Mesher. But that's yeah, just me take, that's I, just me being loyal to a uh, fellow <laughs> Riverina type player. I, I would take Mesher as well. I think he was a pretty handy player. Uh second row, man, that's all over the shop here. Um Matthew Fuller and uh, let's see. Michael Brabeck. Or Scott Coxon or Tate Mosley. Take your pick. None of them are going to be competing with those Broncos back rows. That Yeah, David Fafida and Ben Teo. Oh, Ben Teo, I forgot about him. Ben Teo is the second rowers. I know he's useless, and even at his best, was super overrated. But I think I'd still take Ben Teo. I mean, yeah, and Locke. Uh, Steve Georgialis. Patrick Carrigan. Ooh. I think Carrigan's been go, playing pretty well, to be honest. Yeah, I think I've got to go Carrigan. Steve Georgialis was an honest player. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of names. And the thing is, too, okay, the times when the 
Broncos players were rated better than the Western Magpies players. Mm-hmm. It was because they're up against players in the Magpies team who probably only played for those two or three seasons where the Magpies were just, they couldn't lure anyone, so they are just pretty much using reserve grade quality players. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's I'm, how far below the standard they were. Yeah, and the, like that's historically why they were so bad on that level. Um, it's crazy, though, to look at these the, the two lineups. Like I was watching the Broncos on the, on the weekend and, David Fafita, every time he touched the ball, I was like, yeah, he's worth 1.2 million bucks. Like, not only is he a monster of a player, like, he, he's super strong. He's got great footwork. He breaks tackles. Like, he, he just looked like a $1.2 million a year player. Payne Haas, I don't know what's going on with him. I don't know if he is just in a bad place or he ha- he's not going to bust his ass because some of his other teammates aren't or anything, but he should be playing a lot better than he is. Um, ben Teo, I, I drop him. Darius Boyd's been playing all right at fullback, but he's it's been, just all right. He's been playing his best football in a few years at fullback. And yeah, he has just been playing all right. And it's not like he had to do much to be better than what he had been dishing up, mm. but he's been their best performing fullback of the last two years. Oh yeah. Easy. Very, just in this, just in this recent time, um, which shows just how mind-numbingly stupid was to move him into the centres. And even to this day, even though we're saying how good he's been looking at fullback, if he has to be in that first grade side, he should be should be on the wing. And to be honest, they're kind of going to need him around, but that was well less so now because. They needed leaders and experienced players out there, but now that he's walked away from being in the leadership group, you now got to sit there and question whether he's actually going to be of any value to the team. Who would you say in that Broncos team is in that leadership group? If somebody said, "Guess who?" Guess three of the players in there. It's just Alex Glenn because he's the captain. Yeah, and like he's, um, he's been on the sideline for a while now. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if Joe Offengowie's in there because he seems like a, a pretty good dude, level-headed dude, and he, I think he, he does try hard when he's on the field. It's crazy given how young this side is. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, he's he's young. He's very 20, young. 24. Um, let's be honest, Matt Lodge, I mean, they wanted to make him captain at one stage. Yeah, he. I know he is in it. Um, She's Corey Oates, probably. Anthony Milford. Yeah. Um, and you know what? Of the players you've said, it take off and Gowie out, the rest of them haven't, uh, didn't play on the weekend. That's Apart right. from, uh, what's his name? Boyd. Yeah. yeah. He's not in there anymore. Um, Isaac Luke. Yeah. he Did he play on the weekend? He didn't play on the weekend. No, he didn't. Um, yeah. Boyd, Luke, Teo, they're all 33. Alex Glenn's 32. And then the next eldest is uh, Anthony Milford at 26. It's crazy. And then there's, what, five players with 25, four that are 24, two at 23, two at 22, 121, six or seven at 20, and three or four that are 19. It's just nuts. But here's the thing, right? You you talk about their age, and I'm a big believer in like 
if you're good enough, you're old enough. True. And you look at someone like um, Nathan Cleary. Like, I don't think there's any doubt that he's the leader of that Panthers team right now. True. But the thing is, okay, and this is what Penrith did reasonably well over the last two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, as in 2017, 2018. Mm-hmm. Um and even 2019 a bit, even though the play wasn't always great, um, especially last year, mm-hmm. they paired up on, you know, across the field in, a, in a certain areas. Yeah. There were experienced players next to rookies. Yeah, yeah. So they had Maloney next to Cleary, which was huge for, for Cleary's future. Mm-hmm. Tamo was in the front row with a few young blokes around. You had... Um, Dean Farre in the backs. And while he wasn't all that great, a little bit of experience does help from here and there. Um, and you get to the point where you get that experience and that knowledge from those guys. You, you ring out the bit of, the bit from that you need. Mm-hmm. Then you just bring through some rookies. And they've got that little bit of experience, a little, little bit of knowledge. And it just gives them a little bit more um, composure. Yeah, and it's the little things that, you like most people don't think of, the, you know, the older professional players, they turn up and they get. Oh, he's dropped out. That's an important moment there. I'm sure he had a great analysis he was going to provide us with. He's just warming up. Usually it only takes about 53 minutes for him to get into great analysis. But there we go. We'll hang around, see if Ricky will come back. Players. There he is. You dropped out for a little while there, mate. Oh, man. And I was saying some really cool stuff about veteran players and younger players, too. I was just um, saying that. Back... I, just, I, I was just confirming that you were saying that. Yeah, yeah. So it's them little things that the players can pick up from a good veteran player. And that's the thing about Penrith is all their young players right now, and they're the youngest team in the comp, they're picking up the good lessons. And they have been picking up the good lessons as they've entered first grade. Um, what are these young Broncos picking up right now? I can tell you it ain't the good lessons. I can tell you too that the Broncos actually have a slightly younger age than the Panthers team. Is that from this weekend or overall? Overall for this season, for the entire okay. squad this year. So the Panthers have the average age of 24.74, which is bloody young. Um, 24.74, Broncos, 24.47. Okay, I, it must have been, because I heard a statistic earlier in this season, and it must have been for a lineup that had been put out. No, it was, people... it was probably at the start of the year, because the Broncos have brought through quite a few um, debutantes this year who are all teenagers yeah. or 20 years old, so that's pushed their average age down a bit. Plus, they also yeah. got rid of um, Andrew McCulloch. Yeah, because there was a stat I saw put out earlier this season, and I can't remember whereabouts, whenabouts it was, but someone was saying you can't um, use the age of the Broncos as a reason for them going so poorly because the Panthers are actually younger. So, Bingo. So, yeah. Bingo. Oh, look, they're basically the same goddamn age now. So Yeah, yeah. Um, it's all about how you use experienced players next to rookies. And the Panthers decided to burn one, two seasons mm-hmm. of having players, having rookies next to experienced players, knowing that long-term it was going to be to their advantage. And the Broncos under Seabold went, fuck it, let's get rid of every old person and just have a young team. 
And now we're seeing the, the fruits of that, is that the Panthers are now top of the ladder, looking unbeatable, and the Broncos are the worst team in the comp, despite the fact they're not last. Let's be honest, they're the worst team in the comp. Well, I said that on Twitter, and people started getting into me saying, oh, the the Bulldogs are last. And I was thinking to myself, man, like if I had to, had to pick the worst three teams in the competition going into this weekend, I'd have said Broncos are worst. I would have said the West Tigers are the second worst team. And I would have said I would probably have put the Bulldogs third last. Just, But not on ladder position, just on what I look at and who I think are the, the worst teams in the comp. Now, the, the West Tigers, they beat the Bulldogs. Just. So, you, you know, yeah, and that's the thing. Oh, you would have to put the West Tigers above them, but it, like just the slot above the Bulldogs, you know. Well, look, you know, the thing is, okay, I do a power rankings, which is entirely based on statistics and not opinion every yeah. week, okay? Yeah. And the way this system works is a team earns points based on the strength of their opposition. Okay. So you earn maximum points if you beat the first place team mm-hmm. and you lose maximum points if you lose to the last place team. Mm-hmm. Same thing goes for four and it gets it's calculated so that you earn more points if you beat a top team. Well, no, you earn more points for scoring points against the top team. So if you only score four points against Penrith, then that gets multiplied by the highest multiple, whereas if you only score four points against the Bulldogs, it actually loses value. Okay. So on and so forth. <laughs> so it's all about your ability to compete with the teams that are better than you, essentially. And do you put and do all of these uh, stack up into one final number that you get out the end that's basically a power ranking? That's exactly right. So it's a ladder. Yep. Um, and yeah, the points go from rather high to a negative figure. Mm-hmm. So I'll go through it, okay? I won't go through too much detail, but I've, the top eight are... Penrith, Melbourne, Parramatta, Canberra, Newcastle, the Roosters. And then we've got a bit of a battle here between 7th, 8th, and 9th, which is Cronulla, South, and Manly. Then the rest look like they're a little bit too far away, and that starts with Warriors at 10th, the Dragons, the Titans at 12th, the Tigers the 13th, the Cowboys 14th, the Broncos 15th, and the Bulldogs 16th. That's interesting. A lot of that feels very right, doesn't it? Mm. I I think so. The Sharks are sitting in seventh because they've had a lot of wins, but the points that they've scored is almost nil. It's sitting at eight points, and the reason why it's eight points, okay, you can compare that with Penrith, who've got 107. Mm-hmm. It's because Penrith have been beating teams in the top eight. Yeah. Cronulla's been beating teams in the bottom eight, so they're earning less points. Yeah. They're also losing less points because they're losing to teams in the top eight. So they're dealing with small point changes every week. Mm-hmm. Manly have been competitive with teams in the top eight, but losing to bottom eight teams. So they've got minus one point. South sitting on three points. Um, then you go down to the bottom and the Bulldogs are on minus 91. The Broncos are minus 68. Cowboys are minus 60. The Tigers minus 42, the Titans minus 40, the Dragons minus 38. I mean, they're all so close. And the Warriors are minus 33. So that says to me that Warriors, Dragons, Titans, Tigers, they're all pretty even. Yeah, and like, it does feel like there's almost, to me it feels like there's, if you had to break the league 
up into different sections. I think that the Storm and Panthers are out in front right now um, in terms of who looks the best. I think yeah, look, it, Parramatta's hanging on to the edge of them because they're a bit too far ahead of Canberra and Newcastle and the Roosters at the moment as well too. That's exactly what I was about to say. I think the Eels are next, but a bit ahead of, say, the Roosters, the Raiders and the Knights on the, on the NRL ladder I'm going by now, who I kind of... Look, I, I, the Knights this year, I personally feel like they're not as good as the sixth-place team in the competition, but they are in sixth place. Their results are tracking as a team in sixth place, obviously. They're beating who they're supposed to beat. They're not losing to too many teams they're not supposed to lose to. So they're doing what a sixth-place team should be doing. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what I think at that point. So they kind of... Like, I feel as though the Sharks, the Rabbitohs, I think the West Tigers are well out of it, to be honest. But I think the Sharks, the Rabbitohs, and the Sea Eagles are three teams that are so close. I feel like they're, you know, two bad weeks or two good weeks for either one of them would make their entire season. Yeah, the Sharks have been doing... uh, The one thing that's been their their absolute advantage is their attack. We haven't seen a Sharks team attack like this since probably very early 2000s mm. when John Lang was coach. Mm-hmm. There's for a long time, nearly 20 years, they've been that team that just grinds teams down and you know win 14 to 12 every fucking week. Yeah, and now they're a team that throws the ball around, racks up 20, 30 points with ease. It's it's um it's a real testament to the way John Morris works as a coach, and if he can just get that defence tightening up a little bit and a bit more committed. Um, he's got a genuine top four team. Not this year, but that's something that he could be he's working towards. Um, and let's be honest, he's getting whether, <laughs> even though Sean Johnson may not be playing um world class football, mm-hmm. he's getting much more consistency out of him. Yeah, and look, he's still inconsistent, but it is, is. But you're not seeing... It's much more consistent, as you say. You're not seeing him go from um, being a golden boot player one week and Mm -hmm. then being the worst player in the world the next. Exactly. The the peaks and the troughs have all, like, really narrowed down. There's very little between them. So his bad game now, he's not going to cost you a win, whereas in the past it would, you know. At this point in the year, (sighs) who's your coach of the year? Um, look, it's got to be between, it's hard to go past. I think there's, there's four. It's going to be Cleary, obviously, um, pardon me, um, Bellamy always, you've got to have him there. Brad Arthur's done pretty well considering he's had a, uh, a team that's yo-yoed a fair bit and he struggled to get consistent seasons out of them. He's finally got got them having two good years in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, John Morris. I, I I think he's horribly underrated as a coach. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know why they don't just say, look, John, do you want to coach him for another two years, see how we go after that? But, you know, the Sharks do what they want to do. I, my personal feeling is that if I had to pick one, I find it really hard to go past Craig Bellamy, considering all the injures, injuries that they're dealing with. Um, and they've only lost two games all year. It's it's kind of crazy. Um, 
his ability though to to find new players and turn them into absolute superstars that work in his his outfit is it's it's insane. I've never known a coach to do it. I mean, he had Billy Slater for years, then just gets Pappenhausen, and then while Pappenhausen he just brings Nico Hines in, who has an absolute gun of a game here. How the fuck does he do it? See, I think what he does, right, if I had to guess, I think that he gives a very clear vision about how he wants the overall team to play in attack and defense. And then I think from there what he does is he breaks down man for man. He says, look, this is the really simple job I want you to do. And he make so it might be just like, you know, when Cameron when Cameron Munster gets the ball and we're attacking the line, I just want you to run as a decoy player, right? I want you to be a decoy runner. Make sure you hit the guy's uh, inside shoulder, but that's all I want you to do. And I think he drills them on that. And then he goes to them down the line when they've got that how he wants it to be. And he says, okay, now what I want you to do is be a decoy runner, but when you run through, I want you to step off your right foot just to add something different to the game. And I think he adds – he so he starts off with a very basic game plan for a player, but then he'll only add two or three different things to that end of that game plan that's very basic to them. And then what – so what you end up with, depending on who you've got, you, he has forwards that are good line runners, and if they get the ball, they're hard to stop. If they are a decoy runner – they're a very, very good decoy runner because they look like they're about to get the ball. And then with the elite players, someone like Cameron Munster, like I think with Cameron Munster, there's not too much coaching you've really got to do with him. I think a lot of it, it is instinctive for him, and that's why he's such a good player. But then someone like a Pappenhausen, I think that he he has sat down with him and he said, look, at the uh, look, I, I had Billy Slater doing three things his entire career. And if you do those three things, you'll be a rep player. And I think he breaks it down that basically to his players. And I think that's why he's such a good coach. And I think that's why he gets these unknown players. And he'll be like, oh, he's got it, you know, some blowing this week on in the centres or on the wing or something. And they have blinders because they're doing really basic things, but they're doing them really well. And they know that if they do that really well, they will get the exact same results as all of these superstars that have been before them. Yeah, look, it's hard to argue with because it's it looks like what's been going on and it's been working so damn well for so long. Mm. Um, just phenomenal stuff, really. That's crazy. He's he's the best um, coach of all time. Oh, I, I definitely can't argue with that. Um, the crazy thing is too is that remember at the start of the year, a lot of people were suggesting that the Sharks are going to come last. Yeah, I don't think we ever bought into that, did we? No, well, I certainly didn't. I had them finishing eighth. I can't remember where I had them finishing. I had the, I know I had the. You had them lower down. I think you had them in the bottom, bottom four, bottom five. Yeah. And to be honest, you could kind of understand why. Um, you know, it looked like they were in a bit of a start of a rebuilding phase. Mm. No one really knew how they'd go without Gallon there because you know, he's one of those players. Doesn't matter what you think of him. He's kind of one of those players who's a heart and soul type player of a team. You take him away, and sometimes you don't know how a team's going to function without him, um, just because they've been there so damn long. So that was always a bit of an up and air thing. And there'd been rumours all off season that 
you know, coaches were going to be brought into the Sharks to replace John Morris. And so that was extra pressure put on the coach as well, which is always, it just amounts to, it's going to be a bad year. And while they haven't exactly set the world on fire or anything like that, they've been one of the best attacking teams in the comp. I think the second or third best attack. I think the, the thing the that surprised seven. me is, is their attack out wide. <clears throat> they're, and, and I feel as though they're getting better as the season goes on. They're outside backs. Because I thought that losing Bronson Sherry took away a, you know, th- they can score from any, like Bronson Sherry, get him the ball. And we know why, because he was fucking juiced. Yeah. But get him the ball, and it's like he, he might score from any point on the field. We also I, throw in the fact that they also lost Josh Morris, who had an absolute fucking gun of a year last year. Yeah. And they lost him after round two. You think that's t- their two, like, starting centres gone. Yeah. Haven't missed them. No. No, and, and as I say, I think their outside backs as the season's gone on have gotten better and better. But they're definitely, like, I don't think they're a match for the top four sides at all. I think the top, all of the top four sides, although the Roosters are dealing with so many injuries, like, at some point, it's just going to, it's just going to knock them on their ass. But I think the top four would not even, and it's going to be interesting because the Sharks play the Panthers this week. We'll see if it works out that way. But I don't think the top four is going to worry too much about the Sharks. Whereas the Knights, I think they would. I think they would about the Rabbitohs a little bit. I think the Seagulls are gone now. Too many injuries, and they've. I think they've fallen off. So yeah, look, and that's the thing. We've we've got a clear gap now between eighth and ninth, mm-hmm. and the Tigers. Yeah, they're in ninth at the moment, and ha ha. Let's have all a joke about that because they're always ninth. But let's be honest, they are not going to finish ninth this year. They're going to be lower than that because they have got an absolute horror run home. Yeah, they've played all their tough teams. Most of the teams they're playing against now are above them on the ladder. Yeah, and um, like I feel as though if it was a regular length season you still wouldn't count them out from the wooden spoon. Like, they're, they're only a couple of wins ahead of the... Uh, odd, like, sorry, I'm looking at wins. Um, they're not going to get the wooden spoon this year. But damn, no. they're pretty close. Like, it's not like they're miles away. No. There's, what, six games left. They're four wins clear of last place at the moment. Mm-hmm. So they, they do have a buffer there. But they can definitely drop down to 13th. Yeah. It's only two wins between them and the Titans in 13th. So crazy. Um, so, yeah, the, the bottom... I think the the top eight's pretty much confirmed now. Especially yeah. with a, a two-win gap between 8th and ninth. It's Especially if the, Rabido, if the Rabbitohs win this weekend over the Seagulls, it's over. Pretty much, yeah. Um, and who have the Tigers got this week? Roosters. <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> I hope they pull Sonny Booms off of the fucking walking frame for this game because the Tigers need to be playing against sixteen players. Oh, they're gonna they're gonna need the Roosters to run out the reserve grade team if they're in a chance of getting a draw. You know the Tigers have got after the Roosters? Hey. Penrith. Oh my god. Then Manly, then South, then the Storm, then Parramatta. Wow. That's that is a terrible run. Manly's the only team. That's not in the top eight that they've got from the run home. And they've got a horrible record against them. They can definitely lose that game. I mean, they barely beat the last place Bulldogs, a team that struggled to score like two converted tries per game. Yeah. And, and the Bulldogs, like, there was one play where 
Kieran Foran run it, Joey Leilua, and just ran around him. And I was like, I, I hope Andrew's not watching this. I didn't see that one. <laughs> oh, oh, man, don't watch it. Don't, don't ever see it. It's one of those things that scars you. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty ridiculous how, how split it is. You know, if they're playing, the Roosters are really banged up, super banged up. If if the West Tigers, like, have any injuries out of that game, the Panthers could put 60 on them. Like, it, this it's... the problem, okay, is that the, the Tigers forwards have been pretty much competitive every week, but they have lacked that class and that X factor and that attacking um, mouse, I'd even say, to take advantage of the forwards. And I think it probably comes down to a lot of the players who have been at the Tigers for a while, which is now Luke Brooks, Benji Marshall, haven't actually played behind a pack that's been able to hold their own ever. Ever, yeah. And so sometimes they sort of get in space and they sort of throw a panic ball and go, oh, hang on, I had a bit more room to move. <laughs> Well, and it, look, they look horrible when they haven't got a hooker. And I know Little come in this this week back from injury, um, but it, when as soon as Harry Grant went out, they fell off a cliff. Yeah, and from what I did see today, Little didn't look too bad for you know for his first game back after um, a long layoff. I think he's been gone for almost twelve months. Yeah. Um, he made forty four tackles. It's not bad for a bloke. He's had dodgy legs. Yeah, and look, that's the thing, man. I... But he's, he still hasn't played an 18-minute game in all the years he's played the game. Today he played 61 minutes, which I think is his third longest minutes in a game since his debut. You know, when I was watching that game and there was a point where Kieran Foran rolled his ankle, didn't have anyone, he's just running over towards a tackle. And rolled his ankle really bad. And it made me think about, you know, committing years and money to players that just get injured. And it's whether it's luck, whether it's just the, you know, makeup of a player. Maybe some people have, you know, different, you know, ligament makeups to other players and they just tweak things and stuff like that. I just couldn't, if I was a club, soak so much money and years of contract into players that get injured. I think that if when you get those players that just turn up every week, you know, we we, we talk a, a lot about James Tamo and and how average he is at times. And he's look he played he's played some average football for three years coming up to this year, at least. That's been kind to him. But damn, he's always available. He's always there. You know that he's somebody you don't have to worry about. Is he injured? Is he what? He's always there in the lineup, and that's worth a lot. That's right. Fully agree. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting with Little. Um, today was his first game in almost to the day twelve months. So mm-hmm. he got injured on the fifteenth of August last year. Mm-hmm. He came back and played on the 16th of August this year. Um, but yeah, he's only had three games in his 40 game in 39 game career where he's played for at least an hour each game. And today was the third one. How old is he again? He's 23, so he's still young. He turns he's 24 in October. Young. But 
the poor kid's just been decimated that much by injury. And I I made a, uh, what I said was an unpopular opinion on Twitter last week saying that the Tigers should just part ways with him. Because they're in a situation where whether he stays fit or not is irrelevant now. They still need to get another hooker because he still has not played an 80-minute game. So they're going to need another hooker mm. to fill in for him because he's either going to get injured or if he doesn't get injured, he's going to need someone to play at least 20, 20 to 40 minutes each week. And yeah. that's that's burning a spot on the bench for a for a hooker, which just seems nuts. I don't know yeah. why teams do that these days. Yeah, there's some weird decisions that are made on benches. I think the the thing for me is like, you know, it's it's such a key position. Like it's the position that touches the ball more than any other position on the footy field is your hooker. And to have any instability around hooker is a giant, giant issue. If he was a centre or a winger, it might be a little bit different. But when it's a hooker that touches the ball so often, you need them to be super reliable, always there. You need your halves to always know, you know, what the hooker's going to do, have those combinations that they set up. And I, I I, kind of agree with you. I would just say, listen, man, we're sorry, but we've got to go in a different direction. And look, the next guy that you bring in might not even be as good as him. But if he's there every week, it's a, it's a plus compared yeah. to what little gives you now, and that's tough. But that's it is because I mean, little, sports, you know, little does have he does have the ability, does have the talent. Um, he's not at not at the Harry Grant level, no. but he's not like miles behind him either. He's he's more than capable of being a a long term NRL prospect if he's not hampered by injuries all the time. Um, but you know, how long do you do you take that risk for? Mm. And is the re, is the return actually going to be worthwhile? That's the other thing too. So, and you got to look it up from the West Tigers' point of view. I mean, man, who's going to get released from their club next February? Because that's going to be right for the picking. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Andrew. I'm sorry. Hey, I've said it. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I'm, we're not going to go to it again here because people are getting sick of it. But they just need a broom through the joint, and I'm hoping that happens. Yeah. Okay. Um, was there any other news? Uh, none that really stood out for me. It was interesting to see the way that there was, like when the Dragons beat the the Parramatta Eels, it was a bit of a strange game, and it was weird to see the reaction to how they were saying that the players did it for Mary and stuff. And it's like, what about the previous seven years? That would have been handy. So that was an interesting thing to see. Um, but, yeah, not not too many huge news stories. The only other thing that really jumped out at me was it seems so Fox Sports in their coverage, when you watch the games, they're starting to turn a little bit they're like their website. So you, when you watch at halftime, every single thing that could possibly happen is breaking news. So yes. it's like breaking, breaking news. This player, you know, he went to the bench with an injury and turns out his hammy's gone on him. This is breaking news. And it's just like, can you just calm down a bit? It's just a bit ridiculous. And it really does nothing for their integrity. No, I don't think they're worried about integrity anymore, to be honest. it's Yeah, it's just, I mean, have you noticed that? A little bit, yeah. That's, it's, 
It's getting a bit like um, Fox News, I guess. Yeah. We've got to have breaking news every hour to keep people tuned in. Mm. I mean, it's the footy. We're going to be tuning in anyway. Um, that's crazy. The other thing that's crazy I just saw on the uh, Fox Sports website is after all of this berating and, you know, attacks of Anthony Seabold and how, you know, he's losing the players and the clubs in turmoil sort of garbage they've been reporting. Mm-hmm. It may all be correct. Who knows? Um, they've got an article which has come out yesterday saying someone could have reached out. NRL leaves Seabold out in the cold during bloody hard week. Hang on. Oh, now they're, now they're going with poor Seabold. Wow. <laughs> After laying the boot in as to how crap the team is and, you know, whether he should be sacked and whatnot. Now it's poor Seabold. <laughs> you know, that goes, that's kind of goes in that category that a lot of the people that unfortunately have the microphones, and I guess we've got two microphones with us too, so maybe we're involved in it too. But a lot of this thing of like there's, because the world, life isn't black and white and you don't always get the answer you like, if you don't get the answer you like, then it's a disgrace and terrible and it's a crisis and what are we going to do? How are we going to change it? Sometimes things just don't work out for you and you just got to fucking dust yourself off and get on with it. Like yeah. if, if Seabold is, if, if it was bad enough for whatever happened, if it was bad enough for Seabold to say, listen, in the worst possible moment of my entire sporting career and with my job perilously on the line, I've got to go and break curfew for two for two weeks, and I'm doing it, and it's a personal matter. If th- it was that important for him to do that, I don't think he gives a fuck that anyone from the NRL hasn't talked to him. Yeah, that was a story by Phil Rothfield, by the way. Yeah. Um, now, another interesting story that I'm just seeing here is the Warriors have been left fuming after it was revealed punters on the Central Coast had been masquerading as players in an attempt to have them investigated for COVID lockdown breaches. What? Yeah. Who was... How did they know that that was happening? I... Well, I dare say they probably had NRL officials come to them asking questions, I guess. I don't know. But that's... That's, that's a crazy incident. Yeah. Remember when people would say that uh, because I've, I'm I'm big on like if the if your crowd plays up, the team can cop the penalty. Like you can cop competition points being taken off you if your crowd blows up enough. And people would say, oh, there's a big difference between the the team and the fans and everything. And I I'm of a different opinion. I think it's all one thing. Um. It'd I wouldn't be say it's int- a one thing, but it'd be a good way to keep fans in check. Like if you if you fuck up and you play up and you act like a dickhead, not only are you going to get yourself kicked out of the game, but you could actually cost your team points and a spot in the finals, perhaps. Exactly, and nothing would clean that up quicker mm. than if you know dickhead next to you in the in the seat next to you is going off. You would get hundreds of people saying, "Listen, dickhead, calm down," because we don't want to lose. Two points. It's not something that's going to get worse and worse and worse because there's not really anything that the NRL does about it at the moment. But it's interesting that because because the thing I've always heard as an argument against that is that people dress up in the opposition team's jerseys and cause trouble to make sure teams lost points. And I just think, man, that's ridiculous. 
But is that kind of what's happened to you? It probably is. Sounds a bit like it, doesn't it? Mm, just a little bit. I'm thinking because, like, obviously, you know, being six foot four, if I go and parade around in like a jersey of an opposition team, I might do something for the Panthers, hey? Well, I mean, you, you've, I suppose you've got to be suggesting that you're one of the players. I mean, how many players are six foot four? Yeah, you know, 115 kilos of pure muscle and yeah, a carton around about eight inches downstairs. Yeah, you're right. Like, when somebody says, like, it's just this gorgeous, low body body fat, six foot four, godlike creature walked in. With genitals, full... with genitals like George Williams. Yeah, just... It's like he had a baboon in his pants. Yeah. <laughs> and he was wearing a full kit. Who was it? Yeah, they're, they're going to be stronger going, well, none of the Burgesses are that tall. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're going was to be he, lost. Was he Fijian? So it wasn't kick out. Well, that's true. It doesn't look like you got a carpet on your head. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, News Limited haven't learned from their previous uh, incidents when talking about NRL players and their cars. Mm-hmm. Remember the saga with Latrell Mitchell and the Mercedes that he didn't own? Yeah, the quarter of a million dollar Mercedes that was actually a $90,000 loan off his friend. Yeah. Because um, uh, Phil Rothfield's done a short little what's the buzz thing on Sonny Bill Williams and his car and how he's upgraded. All right. He's talking about, you know, how Sonny Bill Williams was driving a very cheap and very poor car at the very start of his career. And now he drives a very expensive car. Yeah. And um, let's just say, when you run about, say, Sixty grand a year. It's probably understandable that you aren't driving a four hundred thousand dollar fucking car, but when you're in five million dollars a year, it's probably a bit more understandable that you are. It's almost I'd... like common sense, hey. Yeah, I mean, Buzz is uh, he's a fucking genius. Yeah, and so he's going on about the fact that he drives a four hundred thousand dollar Bentley now, but back when he first started, he was driving a secondhand Charade, and the the little throwaway line he put in there yeah was it nick politis had nothing to do with it as if we thought it did i think the five million dollar a year contract he was getting or whatever the hell it is had a lot more to do with the fact he's got a four hundred thousand dollar car yeah that's Um, a contract he's got with toronto not nick politis or the roosters that's so weird why would any why would you even think to write that i don't know i don't get that hey this is the thing this is the thing with with new zealand though yeah they're fucking envious. That's what I was about to say. Do you think, because a lot of, a lot, not all of them, right, but there is a, a certain portion of the journalists that come across as angry towards the game and the players. And do you think that some of that does come from a jealousy point of view? Because, like, if somebody's, like, you know when David Fafita got his $1.2 million deal? I, mm-hmm. I think you and me were both like, good for him, you know? Yeah. Another, another young bloke makes a million bucks a year out of a game he loves. That's what rugby league was made for. Um, but there's this almost like having a dig at like, oh, look look at, look at this guy driving a nice car. It's, it's just like, um, you know, well, don't put your back out lifting your wallet. Yeah, yeah. 
and this is coming from journalists who produce 200 word articles and probably earn, you know, six figure salaries themselves. That's weird. Hey, mm. I've, I've never mm. got the jealousy thing about players because and the holier than thou attitudes they've got. Yeah, uh, it's it's a strange one. Like, uh, if if Bill Williams has Bentley, I reckon that's fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. This is the thing. I haven't seen any New Zealand journal write anything about Benji Marshall's Lotus. Well, th- you know what? I was just thinking about his Lotus because I think it's super cool that Benji Marshall has had that Lotus. And I don't know if he still has it. But it was... That's a fucking I, nice car. Uh, yeah, it was a nice car, but it wasn't like I'm going to get every, the car everyone else is getting. He wanted that Lotus. And that was so cool to me. Oh, it was. I saw it at a game one day when I went to a, a match at Leichhardt, and I saw him park in his car at the back there, and I went, "God damn, that's a nice car." Yeah. And I just went, "Yeah, it's flashy," and he doesn't hoon around in it. He drives around casually. He wants people to see him in it. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you know, I'm Benji fucking Marshall. I'm flashy, and I deserve a flashy car. And you're going, "You fucking roast, you do." <laughs> Do you reckon that I would love to know which NR and look, this is going to be an article. If there's journalists that listen to us, first of all, go fuck yourself. <laughs> and second of all, write the article who has the best car in the NRL. It'd be hard to beat a Bentley. Um, and and you, like, I, I'm not one of these people that I don't, I don't have Instagram, but I'm sure the players put their cars on Instagram stuff, but it'd be interesting to see who's got the nicest car. Like, I actually I want to know who's got the worst car, and like <laughs> as far as players on good money, who's got the worst car? So anyone who's on a salary of five hundred thousand or you're more a year, yeah, who's got the shittiest car? That would be interesting. I know that Cameron Smith collects old uh, Falcons. Oh, does he? I think it's old Falcons from the from the seventies and eighties. Yeah, um, and he does them up. So he looks after them pretty well and makes them look pretty good. They're probably worth a fair bit now. But yeah, he does like them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but who do you reckon that, you know, is on decent coin? Which player would have the crappiest car? Didn't Tim... I, I feel like I'm remembering this right. Didn't Tim Grant, when he was at the Panthers, he had a really expensive Holden? <laughs> like, it was what... You know how you've got, like, the top-of-the-line ones like a normal person can buy? And yeah. then you've got the ones that you've kind of got a buy from like the special HSV at the time. I think okay. he had one of those ones. It's one of those Monaro remakes or something probably. I, I can't remember. I don't think it was a Monaro though because I would have remembered that. But he, he had one of those top of the line ones. And he's going back a long time now. I wonder if he's still got it. He, might he, wouldn't, have, it he wouldn't have been on massive coin though. Yeah, well, that's the thing. That's the thing. And from memory, this... Might have been before the big jump in the salary too, salary cap too. Yeah. So there's obviously a different level of car you can get. Like I remember, um, I think it was Tim Cahill had a uh, Bugatti Veyron, which and he had it at the time when it was the car to have. Oh yeah, they were they were over a million a million pounds. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, and and he had it when it was like when it was. I mean, now it's a little bit older, but. Ah, and for, like even for him, that would have been a decision to make, eh? Yeah. Like that wouldn't have just been a, oh yeah, I'm earning X amount of millions. Like he would have still, like I, I remember watching a video once about a guy who had, 
you know the McLarens, the first McLarens that they come out with? Yeah. And he said he bought one second hand. And this is like 20 years after they come out. And he still every year has to spend like $20,000 on tires, whether he uses the car or not. He has to get uh, get the car serviced. He has to do all of these things to it. And so just if he sits this car in a garage for a year, just to have it so that he can drive it, it costs him something ridiculous, like 75000 bucks a year to do <laughs> nothing to it. And he said, and he said like, it, it, and then he has to add on to the fact that every mile he drives on it, he knows exactly how much the price of the car depreciates. So he has to factor that in. Oh, my God. That's insane. Yeah, that's crazy, hey? It is. See, I, I wonder what what Nathan Cleary gets around in. Or do you reckon his dad still drives him to training? <laughs> he's, he's, he's got a boost seat in the back. <laughs> he gets in the back. What are those? Uh... No, he'd probably have one of those Kingswood Utes, and he gets to sit in the bench seat in the front in the middle <laughs> between mum and dad. Between mum and dad. I had to do that once, going to a job. <laughs> oh, man, had to sit in that middle seat. It's not fun. No, that's bad. It's bad. <laughs> so I reckon Darius Boyd's probably got a Commodore. Oh, 100%. And like a, I reckon it's like a 91 Commodore. Oh, yeah, he's probably getting ready to like a fucking VN or something or a VK. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what would what do you reckon Kikau would drive? Because he when you start getting that big, you actually have to believe it or not have to start looking at cars you can fit in. Yeah, he's not getting a sports car. No, so he's going to get one of those, uh, you know, more of the the cars you get for for comfort, kind of like the Bentleys. I don't think he's got a Bentley, but it'd be something like those. So more of a a cruiser, I guess. You know, I I've got a relative. That is six foot eight, giant, like a giant person, not mm-hmm. skinny. And they had to, they literally had to buy a car that they could fit into. Mm-hmm. Um, and they bought, it was the, not the Plymouth, it was the Chrysler. You know, it kind of looked like a print. Oh, yeah. What was it called? A Chrysler. Oh, what was it called? It's a Chrysler something, but it, it looked a bit different. Yeah, and I, the and I, cars. Yeah, and I said to him, like, oh, you got this car? And he was like, yeah, it's the only car I could fit in that was available. I was like, oh, I said, what do you think about it? And he said, I have hated it every day. I hated it when I got it. I hate it right now. I hate it. <laughs> but he can't drive anything else because he's just too big of a person. Yeah, why don't you get, like, an MX-5 or something like that just take the top down? Imagine that. You'd be looking over the top of, like, you know, the exactly. roller across the top. That would be so weird. I actually was watching... I was watching, uh, before we started this podcast, I was watching Commando, the movie Commando, and there's a part in Commando where there's this tiny little sports car he's in, and he, te- he tears... He's got a, a, a girl that's driving the car for him. He tears out the passenger seat and sits on the floor. <laughs> and when they're showing, and it's a convertible, and when they're showing this car driving down the street, like his shoulders are like three quarters of the width across the cabin. <laughs> and he's trying to look inconspicuous so that they're bad guys don't see him. And it's like, dude, you're a giant in a tiny little car. It's still not working, even without a seat. Dude, that just reminds me of Hightower and Police Academy. Oh, did he do a similar thing? 
He ripped the seat out and sat in the back seat. Oh, shit. I don't think people of a certain age would realise how big Police Academy was at one point. No. It was immense. It was huge. You know there what else go. is huge? You'll remember this. Remember when Lou Diamond Phillips was, for a very short time, massive mm-hmm. with La Bamba? <laughs> it was massive. That was that was a crazy six months. Yeah. <laughs> so strange. And, like, can you name one other thing that he's done? Nothing. I know that he did Young Guns, but that's it. I didn't even know that. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, he's very, very good in Young Guns. But, uh, yeah, when, when La Bamba come out, man, he was fucking gigantic for about two months, and then it'll disappear. Man, he dined out on that shit too, I bet. Oh, can you imagine? <laughs> Just. <laughs> Theoretically, would have been like when um, Saturday Night Fever come out with John Travolta, except, you know. Well, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's been a good episode. Yeah, it's been fun. Should we keep jibbering until the um, Super League starts, or do you want to go to bed this time? What time's the Super League start? Uh, probably in about half an hour or so. We've already done an hour and a half. You, you know, you do this when there's an hour, an hour, half an hour to go. The, Who won the, the, Formula, Formula? the Formula One's on at the moment. Yeah. In Spain. Yeah. And just for an update for people. Um, eight laps to go. Hamilton's in front. He's got a 14-second lead over Verstappen. Verstappen's six seconds clear of Bottas. And then there's about almost three-quarters of a lap between Bottas and Perez. Wow. Um, Stroll's behind him. Vettel has moved into six. It's the first time he's been in the top 15 for about a year. <laughs> it's so weird what's going on with him. He's just given up, in my opinion. Do you reckon um, he's got to that? Remember when Alonso was considered an elite driver for so long, and then I, th- I think it was McLaren he went to, and it just got to a point where he just seemed to give up. He was like, "Look, if I I can thrash this car, it doesn't matter what I do. I can't get it to where it needs to be, even as good as I am. So I'm just going to cruise this shit around." And I think as soon as they switch off like that, they never get it back. No. Um, Raikkonen with an overtake I like I, I'm a big fan of Kimi Raikkonen yeah it doesn't matter how much money he's earned how long he's been around how old he is he's still so insanely matter of fact he's so amazingly deadpan and dishes out some of the greatest lines yeah he's got some good one liners hey oh, fucking fantastic if you ever ever get bored and you want to you know, watch something Check out anything that involves Kimmy Räikkönen and comments on on YouTube. Um, where are we up to? Signs the seventh, Albon eighth, Gasly ninth, Norris tenth, and Ricardo is eleventh. Five seconds behind him. It's weird. There's times where you kind of think, "Oh, Ricardo looks like he might do something with this car," and then it just doesn't happen. It, it, it's. I think he's timed it good to get out of there. Hey. Yeah, I think to. They've used a pretty bad tyre strategy with him on this one. Yeah. And he did get dicked around because there, there was a safety car that came out and he, he'd stayed out on his first set of tyres for longer than anyone else. He was sitting in fifth at the time. 
And then he's gone, I've got to get a new tyre. So he rushes in, he gets a new set of tyres, drops down to about 13th or 14th or something. Yeah. And then two laps after he gets back out, a safety car comes out and you go, oh, you poor bastard. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, this looks like it's going to be a, a Hamilton win quite clearly. I mean, it's going to take an absolute debacle by any of those top three drivers if they're going to lose this position. Vettel's just been overtaken by signs. Wow. It's interesting that, man, that, like every so often you think, are they getting away from this procession? And it goes straight back to it as soon as you think that. Yeah. Thought it was going to be a bit more open this one, but not to be. Yeah, that sucks. Now, the game coming up in 20 minutes' time is St. Yeah. Helens versus Castleford. And I believe the Super League is now going back to playing uh, empty stadiums. I think they did it last round, actually. But I saw some tweets today from St. Helens telling their fans, don't come don't come to the game because you'll get told, told to go home. Oh, really? For, to St. Helens fans? Mm-hmm. Oh, so I'm sure Wigan didn't have to do that. That's true. Uh, <laughs> and all the games this week are going to be played at Totally Wicked Stadium. I think last two weeks have all been at Headingley. That is my favourite stadium, Totally Wicked Stadium. I tell you what, when they finish building it, it'll be fantastic. <laughs> hey, did you see I was mentioned in the 4020 Live um, episode? No, do go on, do tell yeah, us. Yeah, I was, I was mentioned in that, uh, talking about being a Panthers fan to Sandy. Sandy was on there. Um, and yeah, Richard brought me up. It was very nice of him. Thank you, Richard. A former guest of ours on here. Should get yeah. back on sometime soon. They're doing a thing about disgruntled fans or is it disgruntled or disappointed? I can't remember. Or frust, no, it's frustrated fans. Okay. They're all, they're all cousins, those words. Um, so, and yeah, I was thinking, man, wouldn't it be good for me to go on there as a frustrated fan? Can you imagine? Well... I'll have a chat with Richard. Just say, look, just bring up the uh, the Matthew Elliott years. You'll get what you want out of him. Fuck you. You know what's funny is that I actually got mentioned in a another podcast too this week. Oh, did you? What one? Uh, I don't know the name of it, but it was with the one that's got um, Joel Kane and some other bloke, uh, G- Jimmy Smith in it. What's it called? I don't know. Uh, yeah, they do. Don't they do radio in uh, Melbourne, SEN? Mm, don't know. I thought they did. Oh, nah, is, it they... N- is it NRL radio? I, I've no idea. They approached me about um, some tweets about Daly M points and stuff like that a couple of weeks, yeah. two weeks ago. Yeah. So I spent a week collating all of the data and yeah. gave them the, you know, what they were after. Mm-hmm. And then I got asked. <laughs> after I put it out, I was only interested you can tell us who's averaged the most points per game in that period. I was like, oh, okay, no worries. So I'll go through and do all that as well. So two two episodes in a row, they, nice. they read out stats that I gave, and they gave me a good little plug and mentioned everything on there. So it was pretty cool. So thanks to, to Joel and Jimmy for that one. That's awesome. Look at that. We're spreading our net. <laughs> Glad you said net. I was going to say, oh, fuck. Um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's really interesting to see, like, you know, when you when people bring you up. See, yeah, I've got this weird thing. Every time someone says, "Oh, you've been mentioning this podcast," going, "Oh, fuck, what do I do?" <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I hear them start talking about, "Oh, this," you know, they start talking positive about me. I'm like, uh, I kind of wish they were whinging about me instead. <laughs> oh, 
Really? Wow. <laughs> See, I, like when so, when somebody said, oh, it was Carson Brummer, I believe it was, brought it up, and he said, oh, you mentioned League Freak on the podcast, and I was like, oh, shit. Now it's sort of the 40 I was like, oh, Richard, Richard's cool. He, he's not one of these people that's going to whinge about me. He's, he's, at the very least, he would be like, this is what League Freak says, and he wouldn't be like, oh, that fucking dickhead. You know what I mean? <laughs> so so I, was, I was cool with that. That's all good. Yeah. So I see Sandy's been appearing on quite a few podcasts of late, so that's great. Yeah, she, she's been – like I, I was talking to her the other day in DMs, and I was saying, oh, man, you're on another podcast. She's like, oh, yeah. And uh, I said, as long as our one's your favourite one. And she's like, of course it is. So I was like, oh, that's all that matters. <laughs> now, we also got a indirect um, promotion by a current NRL player too the other day. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tell us about it. Yeah, someone mentioned their, their five favourite podcasts. Mm-hmm. And they mentioned ours in their top five. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you um, yeah. Along with the podcast that um, Chad Townsend does. Mm-hmm. So Chad, Chad Townsend retweeted that tweet. So we got a bit of uh, publicity via Chad Townsend there. So to all you Sharks yeah. fans out there, hello. Yeah, you, um, you must love us Sharks fans. I guarantee if you listen to every single episode, you will not find any criticism whatsoever of anything the Sharks have ever done. Mm-hmm. In fact, go through and listen to them all. You'll be, um, if, if there's any criticism... Um, Please let us know because we would be absolutely shocked if there was. Yeah, uh, like from memory. Um, we were talked about how both you and I were Sharks fans as kids. Yep. Talked so, about yeah. how that they should never ever be relocated or moved. Yep. Hard done by by Asada and the NRL. Um, <clears throat> deserve their premiership. Steady, steady, steady. <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> that's how i remember it andrew i don't yeah. know what you're talking about no no no. i wasn't talking about anything that was just uh you know I, I just wanted to pull you up before you went too far down that hole <laughs> <laughs> oh dear oh dear okay and on that note we will definitely wrap this one up right there um yeah hey how you doing there mate you good few, it's been a few computer issues there yeah, yeah, had some computer issues. My computer decided to die really quickly. Um, so, yeah, it got very, very hot. And, yeah, so we're wrapping it up so my computer doesn't die, weirdly enough. Um, that's a good thing because at the moment on uh, on Fox Sports is Kieran Cunningham wearing very bold black glasses. Oh, really? Are they slimming? No. Ah, oh, that's shocking. Man, they they actually look like he's doing it for a joke. Are they like Bono glasses? They're bad. Really? They're, they actually look like glasses with no lenses in them, like he's just wearing the frames. Really? Yeah, like I'm just putting the frames on to try and make people think that I'm really, really clever now. I can't even imagine what that looks like. <laughs> oh, man, it's it's amazing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, if you want to... Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can contact us on Twitter at Fergo Freak Pod. We're on Instagram at Fergo Freak Pod. Get to our website, FergoandTheFreak.com, mm-hmm. and you can uh, you can drop us a comment on there as well. Yeah, yeah. If you get do use the contact form on that. You can also email us at podcast at leaguefreak.com. That works as well. 
We've got a couple of pod, uh, couple of emails to read out. We'll get to them on our next episode. Yeah, we're going to do it here, but we figured we've put you through enough already. Yeah, yeah. Is you've, you've, everyone's got time constraints at some point. Even my computer tapped out. Yeah, he gave up. Yeah, it, it told us to piss off. Really, exactly. I had enough of this shit. <laughs> um, as long as it does it now, not when I'm watching porn. Exactly. You need to get the priorities right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Um, if you can, leave us a review and a, a five-star rating. That would be fantastic. We'll read them out on the uh, on the podcast and we'll pop them up on the website as well, so we'll make you famous. Exactly. And also, go to yeah. manscaped.com, our sponsors. Absolutely. Absolutely. Buy whatever the hell you want there and then enter in the NRL code at the checkout. Get 20% off, free shipping. Incredible deals. Yeah. We're looking after you. Yeah, we really are. Seriously, you'll get compliments if you do it. Yeah. And if no one does give you compliments, let us know, and we will give you compliments. Yeah, for sure. We'll make sure you get complimented. Don't you worry about that. We're all about your ego here. I'm here for my ego, though. That's exactly right. I'm here (laughs) for your ego as well, too. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) I've walked into that. Damn it. (laughs) And on that... um, Glorious League Freak note. Uh, We'll wrap this one up. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Catch you on the next episode.